Good morning again to all of you. It's good to be back. Have no fear. I am 100% well. And a uh, little head cold had me under for a few days and didn't want to share the love with you last week. So did Father Jose behave himself when he was here? Yeah, good. He's good. He's good people, as we say. There's uh, two metaphors that the Bible consistently uses uh, to describe the state of a person's awareness of their need for God. Two metaphors that, that the Bible uses continuously, and it is hunger and thirst. Hunger and thirst. And so the title of the sermon that I want to preach today is, Are You Hungry? Are You Thirsty? Okay? Say that with me. Are you hungry? Are you thirsty? There's a theme that you might have noticed in the readings this morning between the psalm and the Isaiah passage and the gospel. There's a theme about the, just the radical generosity of God. That's what I would call it. The radical generosity of God. Psalm 45, we just prayed together. It said, you open wide your hand and satisfy the needs of every living creature. That's who God is. He likes to meet needs. He likes to give. He likes to satisfy. It is his heart's desire to heal, to give, to restore, to forgive, to renew. God is a giving and gracious God. And it's important for us to always remember that. We saw it most poignantly in Jesus's multiplication of the fish and the loaves, which we'll talk about in just a moment, where he made sure that people's needs were met. That is who God is. He's a God who wants to meet needs. He's a God who wants to meet your needs. Do you believe it? Amen? Okay. I'm glad you do. Let's wake up. <laughs> you see, God's gracious, uh, his gracious nature to, to give more of himself, to give resources, it will never change, right? The Bible says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God's never going to not be a gracious God. It's a part of his nature for all of eternity the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit were pouring themselves out in love to one another. They're a giving God. He's a giving God, and that's never going to change. And the generosity of God towards humanity is it's actually a display of His desire for communion with us. Did you hear me? God's generosity towards us is a display of His desire for communion with us. And so the question that I want to ask today, in light of the fact that, that, that everything God has done in history that displays his generosity is a means of, of drawing us near to him, I want to ask the question today, am I thirsty? Am I hungry? So we're actually going to take a, a dip into the gospel passage, but then we're going to shift over to Isaiah. So let's just start looking at Matthew chapter 14 for just a couple of minutes because I couldn't uh, help but to comment on what we see here. Now, when you all heard that uh, Jesus healed the sick in that passage, you thought, oh, Father Graham's going to preach on healing again. But I'm not today. I'm not going to so much say much about healing as I am the more general nature of God's graciousness. So the context here, if, if you notice at the beginning of the passage, it says um, when Jesus heard about this, he went to find a desolate place. He heard about something that drove him to, to, to get into solitude. Well, what happened? Well, if you read the, what happened before it in the chapter, is his cousin, John the Baptist, was just beheaded by the wicked King Herod. Okay, So Jesus, this is a major loss. Jesus thought highly of John the Baptist. He said there's no one uh, greater than him on the earth. Okay, So Jesus was discouraged, and he needed to get away, and he needed to get alone time. 
But then what happens is, as is usually the case, the crowd, they have their uh, binoculars out and they're always looking for Jesus and they spot him and they flock to him as usual. And now, just so keep in mind, Jesus is exhausted, he's discouraged, he's been ministering to people pretty much around the clock, which is why he's always zonking off in the boat when he's with his disciples, right? So he's tired and discouraged trying to get away, but the crowd followed him, okay? They never gave him a break. And this is how Jesus responded. It says when Jesus landed, because he was taking a boat to try to go away, but somehow the crowd followed him. They must have been on their boats behind him. When Jesus landed and saw the large crowd, he said, I am sorry, but I need a break. My friend, my cousin, and my close friend, John the Baptist, just died. I need you all to just leave me alone for a minute. Is that what it says? No. It says he had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. Okay? Now, keep in mind, this is just, I want to press into this because it shows us the nature of God, right? Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So this is who God is in the depths of his heart. Um, He's tired already, and then he spends the day with a multitude healing their sick. Now, we've done healing services here, and I've spent two hours in a row praying for people for healing. It's exhausting. It's taxing. Remember when the woman touched Jesus's robe and it said he felt power go out of him? That's what happens, right? His divine power goes out of you. And in a sense, you're giving something from God to people. And it's very exhausting. So Jesus is with them all day healing the sick because that's his heart. Okay. He sees the line is not getting shorter, but I'm going to stay here and I'm going to wait for them to get to me because I want to heal them. I want to heal every kind of disease and sickness. That's the nature of who God is. But then, then we, then we, then we keep reading. And this is the most amazing thing. You would think, finally the healing conference is over for the day, and Jesus is ready to just go through the Taco Bell drive-thru and get some food and go crash, right? I mean, that's what I want to do after, uh, the, the, the healing service is over. But this is what happens. Not only is he concerned that their bodies are healed, he is, uh, in, he insists on making sure that they are also fed and nourished. Okay? So his disciples said, all right, Lord, <laughs> time to wrap it up because we're tired too. So let's send them home because they need to get food and they're exhausted. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. You can give them something to eat. And they bring the five uh, loaves and the two fish to him. And he blesses it. And he breaks it, and he makes sure that it is distributed to everyone. That's the heart of God. That is the heart of God, to meet needs, not, not just spiritual needs, but to meet physical needs. Now, however, there is a truth to, there is a truth to the reality that what, what Jesus does for people on a physical plane is a sign of what he wants to do for us spiritually. Okay? When, when a body is healed or nourished with bread, it's a sign of what God wants to do for us spiritually. Okay? He wants to heal spiritual brokenness, sin. He wants to feed spiritual hunger and slake spiritual thirst. And in this picture, this is why I wanted to comment on it for just a couple minutes of Jesus breaking the bread and distributing it to the crowds in compassion after he's healed them. It's a picture of the gospel. Right? A gracious and good and holy God coming down of his own accord to meet and to encounter people who are broken and can't do anything about their own condition. That's grace. And that's the gospel. And that's who God is. He meets us in our brokenness and in our needs and pours out his own life 
to save us and to draw us near to Him. Are you awake now? Okay. Let's move on now. I want to talk just for a minute about thirst, about uh, what, what it means to be thirsty. So Jesus, He healed the sick. He fed the hungry. Like I said, to show physically what He actually wants to do for the human soul. What He wants to do to feed us and slake our thirst. And so just as we have the physical needs, we have spiritual needs, right? We are a body and we're a soul, okay? You're not a soul trapped in a body. You're a body and you're a soul, okay? Those are a composite, you're a composite being. And it's important for us to be aware of that, these kind of two planes of our needs, the physical and the spiritual. It's important for us to be aware of that because, now listen to this, our awareness of our spiritual poverty, that is our desperate need for Jesus, our, our, our level or our awareness of our spiritual poverty will determine our level of communion with him. How much I feel in the depths of my soul I am desperate for Jesus will determine how much communion I have with him. Okay, and that's kind of what we're going to talk about for the rest of uh, the time here is pursuing the Lord for fulfillment. Now, it, just think about it like this. If, if you have uh, symptoms of sickness and you ignore them, you could end up in bad shape, right? And some of us do that. We get into denial. I don't like the doctor. Some of us guys, especially, I don't need to go to the doctor. I'm just going to sleep it off, you know, and a week later. And if you have symptoms that you ignore and they don't get treated, you're going to end up in bad shape. So a good question for us is to ask, what are the symptoms that I experience of my spiritual poverty and what am I doing with them? Right? Am I trying to uh, meet them with medications that don't actually do anything? Or am I taking that poverty, those symptoms of spiritual illness or lack or hunger, whatever it is, am I taking them right to Jesus? And that's what I want to encourage us to do today. Now, you see, what happens is that, sadly, so many, even of us Christians, we take, take our symptoms, right, which is the, the hungers of our soul, and we direct them to lesser goods, Things that don't actually satisfy. We all do this, okay? We really do. So for me, and you can probably identify maybe with some of these, for me, when I start noticing symptoms, when I turn on the Amazon app and I just start mindlessly looking for stuff to buy, that's a symptom that there's a hunger in me for something that needs to be met, and I'm trying to fill it up with junk, with stuff, right? For me, it's, uh, it's, when I uh, purchase new Bibles, when I are, when it, rather than read and study the ones that I have, I have this addiction over the last year to premium Bibles, nice goatskin leather. They're real floppy and well made, and that's sort of like a hobby of mine. But you see, it can become uh, a sort of an idol, right? Because I'm trying to feed something in me, a longing for something transcendent to feed my soul through stuff. Now, I'm sure all of you can think of things. For, uh, uh, of yourself, probably most of us, most of us can connect to this one when you realize that you've watched Netflix for hours every single night of the week, there's a, probably a good chance that that's a symptom that you're longing for a need to be met and you might have just filled it up with lots of garbage. Now, I'm, all, I'm pro Netflix, I watch Netflix, but I notice when I'm watching television screen night after night after night instead of getting in the Word or giving myself to the Lord's presence... There's something going on in me some, that needs recalibration, right? There's a hunger in me that's not being met, and it's causing me to spin on the pleasure hamster wheel. And it doesn't get you anywhere, does it? 
right? When we seek to slake a spiritual thirst with physical things that don't actually satisfy, the Bible calls it idolatry, right? When we're, it's putting something rather than God into ourselves that other than God, when what we need is God, okay? All of those other things need to be subservient and enjoyed in God, but, but if, if we're starting to seek fulfillment in all of those things, and then we're missing the Lord, then it's idolatry. Okay, tracking with me? All right, let's look at Isaiah chapter 55. This is such a beautiful, beautiful passage. The more I read through it and the more I prayed over it uh, during the week, I just my eyes just were open to the, the depths of richness here. Now, the context is that um, Israel, Isaiah, if you read Isaiah, it kind of, it's kind of a book in parts, and some, some uh, scholars think that different authors worked on it. But what has happened is that for the first 39 chapters or so of Isaiah, it's some pretty sharp prophetic rebukes to Israel because they have totally gone astray. And then you move deeper into the book, and what you see is despite Israel's uh, complacency and idolatry, they went so far as sacrificing their children to the pagan god Molech. I mean, it was bad. It was really bad. They were influenced by the world around them. And then you get deeper into the book and what you see, and God kind of warns them, look, judgment is going to come, so on and so forth. The consequences of this are going to be disastrous for you, right? And we all know what happened. They go into exile and all that. But God doesn't stop pursuing them. God doesn't stop stop pursuing us when we fall into sin. That Hallelujah. We'd be done for but he doesn't stop pursuing us. And so this call from Isaiah is one of part of the, the book in which God is calling out to offer uh, the free gift of pardon and forgiveness in restoration to him. And so this passage is, again, it's another picture of the gospel. So let's look at verse one. It says, come, everybody say that with me. Come, all you who are thirsty. And then it goes on to say, Come to the waters. Come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk. Four times it repeats the invitation, come. You know what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11? Come to me, all who are weary and burdened. John 6, 37. Whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Is God an inviting God? You think he's a, a God of hospitality? Yes, you can say amen. God is, God is a God of hospitality and generosity. He's a God of invitation. You see, this should give us confidence in our going to Jesus. Based on what Scripture itself teaches, it is impossible, listen, it is impossible to go to Jesus with a genuine desire to encounter Him and be turned away. Because even if there's a sin corruption barrier to that, if you have a genuine desire to come to Him, He will deal with you, and He will call that out of you to lay it at His feet and to repent of it. Okay? So I'm not saying, you know, you can live however you want and still just enjoy fellowship with Jesus. The Bible's very clear. But if you have a genuine desire for encounter with God, the Scriptures teach He will never turn you away. That's good news. He's an inviting and generous God, isn't he? He's incredibly generous to anyone who will simply come. Come. So much 
of the Christian life, we, we, we make too much of it and complexify it too much. But what the Christian life is, is a continually coming to Jesus, turning our eyes to him. I come to you, Lord, at the start of this day. I come to you, Lord, with the heaviness of this sin that I indulged in. I come to you, Lord, with a thirsty soul. It's just Christianity is just continually turning our eyes to Jesus and coming to him. Isn't it so simple? (laughs) It's wonderful. It makes me so happy. I used to have to do drugs and alcohol to be happy, and now I'm just happy in the presence of Jesus. (laughs) So here's what he says. All you who are thirsty. So the, the Lord's invitation is open, but what we need is thirst. All you who are thirsty. When is the last time that you felt a desperate thirst for the presence of God? Think about that for a second. When's the last time I felt desperate to get in his presence, to drink from the rivers of living water? You who are thirsty, come to me. When's the last time that I I set aside a, a prolonged period of time to just wholeheartedly seek his face? Just to seek his face. Just to say, Lord, I'm just here for you. I don't want to ask anything from you. I just want to be in your presence. Those are the sweetest times I've ever had in prayer. And I have sweet times crying out in intercession. and God, I pray for in Jesus' name that you would do a work in this person's life. And crying out and all that striving. There's a time and a place for that. Absolutely. But the sweetest times I've ever had in prayer when I come to him. And I say, Lord, I'm just here for you. I just want to be with you. I just want to ruminate on your word and just just drink you in. And I just feel his presence just begin to manifest when when we come to him because that's what he wants is communion with us. Christianity is about communion with the Lord Jesus Christ. And friends, I've missed it so many times. I knew the still small voice was whispering, why don't you come away for a while? Why don't you come away from the work for a while? Why don't you come away from the screen for a while? Why don't you do this? And I've missed it so many times. And and it's so easy to sort of fall off the wagon of having this as a regular discipline. It happened to me. It happened to me recently. And, and, and the other day I was at work and I, and I felt the voice come in and I was getting ready to, uh, shut things down for a minute and to go get some lunch. And I was very, very hungry and my tummy was growling and poor me. But I felt the voice. I felt the voice say, you haven't fasted this week. You haven't got away just to be with me. Would you just come be with me? And I felt like the Lord said, just come be with me in the chapel. Just come be with me in the chapel. And I was like, oh, Lord, tomorrow is, there's nothing on the calendar. I'm going to fast and pray tomorrow. And I just felt like the Lord said, okay, but why don't you just come away with me? (laughs) And so I somewhat reluctantly closed up the office, went over to the chapel, and I said, okay, Lord, put some music on, worship music. And it was just amazing. It was just so good. Because, you know, by his grace, I was able to, to, to obey and to follow his leading. And it was, it's like, I mean, when you, you, when you get to that place where his presence just becomes so sweet to you, it's better than any meal. You know, when Jesus said, I understand, I think I just get a little bit of a taste of what Jesus meant when he told his disciples, I have food you know nothing about. 
<laughs> what would he do? He would get away in the Father's presence and just soak there and be there and spend the evening in prayer with the Lord. But I miss it. I miss it. But it's so important to remember that what he offers, it's free. He didn't say, if you skip lunch, I will bless you with my presence. He said, I'd like you to posture yourself so that you can become aware of my presence that is a free gift to you. Okay? That's so important to know, right? It's so easy. Our religious hearts want to fall into working our way into God's presence so that it's a reward for something we do. We got to warn it. We got to caution against that, right? It's a gift. It's on offer always. But there are things that we can do Spiritual disciplines, right, is what we call them in, in the church, is that, that can help us be postured to receive more of the Lord. When you fast from something physical, whether it's TV or food or whatever, you're making more room, carving out more room in yourself to have hunger for Him. Right? Man shall not live by bread alone. Okay. And then the other thing I want to say about that is just getting the Lord's presence is it, it, we... I was reminded of this yesterday. Striving versus just allowing him to take you by his spirit to sort of float into his presence. So here's an analogy that I thought of yesterday. I was out at the beach and I was trying to, to get out to the, um, to the, the sandbar to, with my boogie board because the way, it was just really rough, the water. I wanted to get it out there where the water was breaking and try to ride some waves. And I could not get out there. It was just struggle and struggle. It was like one step backward, three steps forward because the waves were just rough. And then I ended up getting eaten up by this enormous wave and scuffed my knee and, you know, it was bleeding. And I said, now I'm shark bait. I got to go back into the shore. But we sometimes, we picture our life of prayer as sort of that sort of trying to swim out against a sort of enormous waves that are just crashing against us. And that's how we view our prayer life. But do you know what it really is if we have the right understanding of it? We used to, when I was a kid, go on these tubing trips in the Rifle River in Michigan. And we used to take all of our tubes up there in the church van and you just get in and you just get in your tube and you don't have oars or anything and you just float the river just carries you and it's calm and it's gentle that's the difference between going to the lord with the efforts of your own soul call that being soulish some christians would call that being soulish operating from your own soul rather than from listening and being guided by his spirit that is in your spirit Right? Surrendering just to the guidance of his spirit and letting him carry you into his presence. This is a lesson I'm still learning, friends. I mean, it's, it's hard to get there because there's this great, great part of us that wants to show God, oh, I'm going to fight for your presence. Oh, I'm going to keep at it. Lord, I feel like leaving the prayer closet, but I'm just going to drive. And the Lord says, just rest. Just chill out, as we say, right? And just be attentive to the inward voice of his spirit. And it will lead you into his uh, presence. Verse 2 in Isaiah 55 says, why, why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? That, that, that's sin in a nutshell. Okay? John Piper said, sin is what we do when we're not satisfied in Jesus. Sin is what we do when we're not satisfied. Why do you spend money on things that don't satisfy? Why do you scroll through Amazon and add things to your cart just because there's a hunger in you to be satisfied, right? And this is, this is, this is, Isaiah knew that Amazon was coming. He just, he knew that he needed to deal with this, this issue. But see, he says, why do you spend money on what is not bread? Remember what Jesus says in John chapter 6? I am the bread of life. 
I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never go thirsty. Think Jesus might have had Isaiah 55 in mind? I think so. He always knew the scriptures. He's always speaking out of his knowledge of the scriptures. You see, Jesus and Jesus alone can slake that thirst and feed that hunger that's in us. Spending money on what is not bread, that is going after things that are not nourishing, what I call a spirituality of empty calories. A spirituality of empty calories where I'm, I'm, I'm striving for those things that I eat and they didn't give me any nourishment and they actually just made me tired and more hungry. You never notice how junk food does that? <laughs> it's the same in our spiritual lives. You know, if you... If you listen into, it's, it's just interesting how the human heart works. We're always after something. If you listen into people's conversations in public, I'm not telling you you should eavesdrop, but sometimes you just can't help it if you're in a busy coffee shop. And if you listen into people's conversations, you notice that people are, are just always after something. We're in pursuit of things, Right? career advancement opportunities. You can overhear the business guys talking about this, that, and the other thing. New relationships. Yeah, he called me back. I don't know if we're going to, you know, or, or vacation spots. We're always, people are always just after something. Just notice this next time you're in public at the restaurant or coffee shop. Listen to somebody's conversation. I mean, accidentally listen to it. But notice, people are talking about what's the next move in life? What's going to bring satisfaction, right? This is how we are. We're wired to go after pleasure. We are. Watch your own mind as you wake up in the morning. The immediate thing, right? For me, oh, I need coffee, right? I hope there's some bacon in the fridge for breakfast. That sounds really good this morning. Oh, I need to email him back so he doesn't think badly of me. I got to stop by Target and pick up that dress that I really like, right? That's a woman, not me. <clears throat> like that. I just had to throw one in there for women, right? I've got to do this. I've got to do that. I've got to, I've got to book the hotel at Disney for the vacation next, next month, right? There's always something in us going after pleasure and satisfaction and none of those things are necessarily evil in and of themselves but if we don't pay attention to how our pursuits are shaping us we will be in danger of missing the only thing that can bring us true spiritual joy c.s lewis said i sometimes wonder if all pleasures are not substitutes for joy Psalm 16 says, David says to the Lord, David was a man of God's presence who sought God's presence. It says, in your presence, there is fullness of joy. Say that with me, fullness of joy. I want that. I want that fullness of joy. Now we're talking about the generosity of God and his desire to give himself to us, but there's, there's, there's one thing that we wanna, that we wanna warn against, right? And I think you hear this point already that we gotta go after him for him, right? If we go after him just for stuff, we're in danger of what I call vending machine theology. You know what I mean when I say that, don't you? Put something in, get something out. Alright God, I did my 15 minutes for the day, so I'm waiting for the blessing. Okay? He's not a vending machine. He's a person. God desires to be loved and pursued. He, he's called our, Jesus is called our bridegroom and we're his bride. He's preparing us for a, a, a consummate eternal marriage feast in communion with him. He wants us to want him. It's such a beautiful truth of, of, of scripture, right? Pursuing the giver currently what, what does that pursuit look like for you? 
What does your pursuit of the giver alone look like for you? This is something to reflect on. It's easy to slip into that mindset of going to God for things other than God, other than just enjoying His fellowship. No, I'm not saying you don't ask God for things. Of course we do. But it's easy for all of our eggs to go in that basket of just asking, right? Some of you have heard me say, I call that what about Bob prayers. You ever seen that movie? Gimme, gimme, gimme. I need, I need. You know, Bill Murray. Yeah. Some people say, I just have a hard time praying. I just have a hard time sitting there in the, in the presence of, of the Lord. Friends, we give up too easily. We give up too easily. We, we don't want to put in the effort. But, but pursuing Him in His presence, it's a, it's a vital part of the Christian life. It's really the center. It's really the center because you can live a life of, of serving and doing all kinds of good deeds and staying busy for the Lord and miss the Lord. But if you don't miss the Lord and you learn to rest in His presence on a continual basis, serving, healing, praying, evangelizing, all of that stuff, it flows effortlessly from intimacy with God. We can't swap, get those backwards, right? Because the enemy that my friend used to say, um, Satan loves people who are obsessed with hurrying up. He loves when people are obsessed with hurrying up, right? Because he just keep them busy all the time. They never get in the presence of the Lord. I thought it was a, sort of like a funny but profound, profound thing. There's one more thing I want to talk about before I bring it to a close, and it is, um, I know and I'm notorious for saying that, but in John chapter 15, um, and I'm doing pretty good on time actually today, so I'm looking at the clock. In John chapter 15, if you have a Bible with you, you can open there. It's not in your not printed in your bulletins. I strongly, by the way, encourage people to bring Bibles to church. I mean, or you can use a phone or an iPad or whatever, but I strongly suggest because I do tend to bounce around and sometimes there's just something that we need to nail down on. And I don't know, I just, I like having it in front of me so I can uh, look at it. I, str- I, I highly recommend it. I know that's not too common anymore in so many churches. You have it up on a screen or something, but we don't have that. So John chapter 15, I want to just talk for a minute. This is important about um, the, the, uh, the necessity of obedience for, for joy in his presence, right? It's a, we hear about the Lord's graciousness and joy in his presence and we're like, yippee, yay, woohoo, that is so awesome. God is so good. I need his presence, whatever. But there is this really serious thing that Jesus uh, says about obedience and the necessity of obedience for communion with him. Okay. So John chapter 15, starting in uh, verse nine, Jesus is talking to his disciples. It's this beautiful conversation. He says, as the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Do you know that the intensity of the father's love for Jesus is the same intensity of Jesus's love for you? Wow. Wow. And then he says this, now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. He said, I set the model for you of obedience, which is to have your heart aligned with the Father's and to do what He says. And then He says this. He doesn't say, I tell you these things so that you'll feel guilt. 
I tell you these things so that you'll be ashamed as you should be, you disobedient little rascals. He says this, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. It's not heavy-handed. He's not a heavy-handed master. He's gentle and lowly in heart. But he requires total surrender and obedience. He says, Jesus says things like, if your hand is causing you to sin, cut it off, right? He's speaking hyper, hyperbolically. But he says, it's much better to lose that than to end up in hell, right? Now, those are just words from Jesus. It's literally what he says, right? But he's making a point. Sin, which creates separation from God, is not worth it. Get rid of it. Cut it out. Let me show you the life-giving way, right? Obey me. Why? So my joy will be in you and that your joy may be full. Do you ever feel joyful after a week of just messing up a lot, sinning, disobeying God? <laughs> do you ever feel like, woohoo? <laughs> but you do feel that joy when you're walking close to him, right? When you're obeying his commandments, you're pushing aside those things, that, 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 those temptations that clamor for your attention. You do feel the joy. You do feel the peace, right? There's a reason. There's a reason for that. And I, I, I would say that it starts with just learning to hear his voice. Right? It's not looking for lists, to-do list. Obedience is not a to-do list. It's not God's chores for you. It is learning to listen to that, that small, still voice and just making small acts of obedience. Right? It wasn't a profound thing that I skipped lunch, and, and I'm not boasting about that. It's just an example. It was just a little thing in the grand scheme of things. So what? It was just a little act of obedience. And as we learn those little acts, little acts of obedience, whether it's, I don't need to buy this. I kind of feel like the Lord is just saying, just be content with what you have. You know, those little sort of acts of obedience, they, they, they turn into long-lasting character development, also known as spiritual transformation. Okay. Start small, okay. and you'll find more delight in him. Hudson Taylor, great uh, missionary to the, to the Chinese people in the 19th century, he said, the secret of an unsatisfied life lies too often in an unsurrendered will. That's good. Let me say that again. The secret of an unsatisfied life lies too often in an unsurrendered will. He understood that when the will gets surrendered to the Lord, then comes joy and satisfaction in Him. Okay, I'm on the conclusion now. I wanted to read this. This is just a beautiful sentence. I'm a lover of good sentences as an English major for undergrad. But uh, this is from a book that I read about the heart of Jesus. And um, he says this, The dominant note left ringing in our ears after reading the Gospels, the most vivid and arresting element of the portrait, is the way the Holy Son of God moves toward touches, heals, embraces, and forgives those who least deserve it, yet truly desire it. That's a beautiful sentence. He moves towards us. Get separation from his presence, it's always on our end. It's always on our end. If it's sin, what does the scripture promise? If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. 
If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. He will cleanse us, right? There's, it's always on our end. There's something that we can do if there's hindrance from his, if fellowship with him. He's always giving himself. I said earlier that the multiplication of the loaves was a picture of the gospel. I want to say one last thing about that before we close today. On that day, Jesus stood there amidst the crowds looking out and he knew, gazing in the distance towards Golgotha, he knew what was ahead of him shortly after. And that day he broke bread to feed their bodies. And he knew that the next bread that he would break and that would be torn apart for the life of the world would be his own flesh. And he saw that in the distance as he fed the people. You see, it's the gospel. It's Jesus' heart to give his life over to torture and suffering and death to make for himself a holy people who belong totally to him. We're his inheritance. That's what he was ripped apart for, for us, to make us his inheritance. And he's now distributing that bread, the bread of heaven himself, to those who are hungry for it. To those who are hungry for it. The... um, Twelve tribes of Israel were all given, eleven of the tribes were given a certain inheritance and a certain land. Back in uh, the early pages of the Bible, the Israelites were given different. There was the tribe of Benjamin and Manasseh and Judah. And, and uh, uh, yeah, I won't try to get all of them but, <laughs> and embarrass myself. But the tribe of Levi didn't get an allotment. This is what Deuteronomy 18 says. The tribe of Levi, those were the priests, the Levitical priests, who ministered to the Lord through sacrifice and worship in the, in the holy places. And this is what it says about, the, about this, this 12th tribe. The Levitical priests, indeed the whole tribe of Levi, are to have no allotment or inheritance with Israel. They shall live on the food offerings presented to the Lord, for that is their inheritance. And then he says this, They shall have no inheritance among their fellow Israelites. The Lord is their inheritance as he promised them. The priests, they just stayed wherever there was a place to lay their head. They didn't have a land of their own. They rented, I guess. They didn't have an inheritance except the Lord. He was their inheritance. Do you know that the New Testament calls you a priest? There's different senses, but in, in a sense, every Christian is a priest someone who's given the role of ministering to the Lord in his presence. That's what a priest does. Ministers to the Lord in his presence. In Revelation chapter 1, we read this, To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Do you hunger for Jesus? Do you thirst for him? Will you seek his face and treasure him as your inheritance? And maybe today the the place to start, depending on where you are with this, is to say, Lord, I, I want to hunger more for you. Or you might have to say, Lord, I want to want to hunger for you. Wherever you have to start, give it to him. He will not leave you to starve. Let's pray.
Lord, make us a people in this, in this community. Make us a people who are, who are like the tribe of Levi. That we would, we would boast of nothing at this church. That we would not say our portion, our inheritance is our wonderful building or our wonderful programs or, God forbid, our wonderful preaching. <laughs> Lord, let us be a people who say our inheritance. It's the Lord ministering in His presence to Him. That we'd be a church that when we come here, it wouldn't, we, we, we wouldn't be sitting and, 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 and obsessing over every little part of the service d- being done perfectly right, but that we would actually be here with eyes and ears listening for what the Spirit, Your Spirit, God, is doing and saying to us and how You're calling us to encounter You. So that when we, we walk away, Lord, we would be like every day, Lord, that we walk away from the Sunday service, that our faces would shine like Moses' face when he went out to meet you on the mountaintop and had to put the veil over his face. And that when people encounter us in the world, they would say there's just something about that person. There's something about their face that radiates. God, give us hunger. and Give us thirst, Lord. Thank you that you died and became for us the bread of heaven. And thank you that today as we gather around this altar, Lord, that what we commemorate is that very multiplication of yourself as your body was broken and torn apart for the life of the world and that we are able to come to this altar rail and to receive your body and to know your presence is with us. We love you, Lord. Amen.